I'd like to add on to the prayer. Father, I just pray for your spirit to quicken us this morning, to give us alertness, and that uh, you would work in our hearts to receive what you have to say today, and help us, Lord, just to to be uh, made alive by your spirit and the truth, and help us, Lord, to be up in this rainy day, to, to see the sun shining in our hearts. And I just pray against any any influence of the enemy that tries to come against us and distracting thoughts or trying to make the word of no effect. I just pray the word just go forth mightily in Jesus' name. Direct it, Lord, the rest of this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, I want to first say I'm happy to have Jennifer back. She did a lot of paperwork in Alaska. And, uh, you know, it was snowing. Not snowing... You know, like it does in winter, but snowing paper, right? Shredded paper. But uh, it was good to have her back, and it's good to be here this morning. And we're going to continue kind of on the what we started last week about studying the Word and getting more from the Word so that you can actually be quickened, empowered, and working, walking in God's presence and righteousness and love and and strength. Isn't that good? Isn't that what we want? We want to be walking in the presence of God or the presence of God walking through us. And uh, we sang today about what Jesus did. He, he died for us. He rose again. And when we, put, when we put our faith in Jesus, something dies in us and rises again. We, when you put your faith in Jesus, you give yourself to him and you say, no longer I, but Christ. And then through his spirit, something rises in you. His spirit rises in you. And you suddenly have different interests, different values, different ways. And you want to do his will. Something that never occurred to me as I was growing up as a non-believing, unsaved person. Uh, I lived for myself. And I just tried to make things work and I just tried to feel better all the time. I didn't know what was going on in the world and then I was confronted with the truth of the gospel and God took me on a journey. That's a long story for another time, but I finally came to a place where I put my faith in Jesus according to the revelation of of the word of God and something was birthed in me. And one of the most amazing things was I went from without without God to with God, and suddenly when I was with God or God was with me, I understood what life is all about. And I remember before being a Christian, we used to have these philosophical musings through, you know, not deep philosophical discussions, but there was always the question presented before the world, what is the meaning of life? And you didn't have to go through a philosophy class. You'd see it in movies. People would utter that question, why, is, why are we here? And it was just a big thing. What is the meaning of life? And then when I discovered Jesus, or when he actually came into my life, suddenly the truth of the word became alive. I started to understand, and no longer was there a question, what is the meaning of life? I thought, really, can this be that we actually can know the meaning of life? The media, the world, our secular education system, whatever's out there, makes it seem like this hopelessly unanswerable question, what is the meaning of life? But it's all clear when you come to Jesus. You know why you're here. You know what you're here for. You know where you're going. And you know what's happening out there. And, and 
it all makes sense. We were created to love and serve the Lord, and he has plans for us, plans for a future and a hope. And so this was something that really struck me as I became a new person in Christ. And yet I still hung out with some guys who were less than angelic, should we say. I didn't just abandon my old friends, but they started to abandon me when I started to share more. But still, there were some that stuck with me. And there was one guy, I remember, we were walking somewhere, and he was just giving me a laundry list of depressing problems he was going through. One after the other, oh, and this is going on with my life, and this is going, and this is going. And my heart just went out to him. I was thinking, this guy needs the gospel. This guy needs Jesus and he doesn't want to hear about them. And that is the tragedy. There are so many people in our world today who are going through terrible trials, who are going through hopelessness, despair, doom, gloom, anxiety, and Jesus is the answer, and yet they don't want to hear about the Lord. They don't want to hear about what can help them. And there really are no earthly answers meant much of the time. There really are no earthly answers. So that's why people continue on in darkness. They give in to things like drugs and alcohol and whatever else can minimalize the pain and the trauma of it. But uh, it's dark. There's no earthly answers. But we have hope in the word. We have a hope, that a word that says that all is going to turn out well. All is possible Jesus has revealed the end of the story to us. We have uh, the, the word that says that all things are possible, everything can work towards our good, and what I'm talking about is hope, and you need hope to get by in our day. And I'm not talking about hope as in, I hope it stops raining, or I hope she's not angry with me. I'm talking about a hope that is an anchor of the soul as it's described in Scripture, something that grounds you and moves you, motivates you. In fact, Webster's Dictionary is pretty good when it comes to a definition of hope. The definition of hope is the happy anticipation of good. Isn't that nice? The happy anticipation of good. What if you walked around with the happy anticipation of good all the time? Um, you can take it further. Hope is a cheerful expectation based on a positive reality or possibility. It's a light at the end of the tunnel and that light is not another train that's headed for you. It's, it's something that moves you. And there, think of the power of hope that revives, that resurrects. The doctor tells you you have an uncurable condition, and so everything goes dark and cloudy. But then as you're doing some research, you find out there's a doctor somewhere that's been experimenting with medicines, and, and he's been having success with this condition. Suddenly there's hope, and it lifts you up a little bit. I went through a time where I was without work for like a year, and I had to live with my parents for a year without work, and I was searching, and I wasn't having any, any bites, and I was getting pretty down, and like, will this ever end? And then that one day I came home, and my mother said, somebody left you a message from such and such company. They want to interview you. There was hope. Somebody actually wants to interview me. Now, it doesn't mean I'm, I've got that job, but something perks up, Something rises up. There's a resurrection when you have hope. But without hope, it's hard to make it through the day. And yet, most people out there are rejecting what God's word says 
But I'm talking to the church today. Most of you, I, I feel comfortable, are not rejecting what God's word says. And yet sometimes you can read his word without getting the benefit of the hope. You can read it for scholarly purposes, for doing my morning duty purposes, for, for just, you know, I got to do this as I'm a Christian. But the goal of reading the word should be participating with God. Do you want to participate with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Or better yet, would you like the King of Kings and Lord of Lords participating with you? That's what the word offers, partnership, partnership with God. And I want to look at uh, this text today in Psalm 130, verses 3 through 5. Because when you have partnership with God, it's a good deal. But so many fear that God's not interested in working with me, or how can he use me, or how can I even expect all the things you're talking about blessings-wise? You know, I've done too much, or I have too much baggage. There's so much in my past. But Psalm 133 130 verse 3 through 5 says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word do I hope. Now, what's this got to do with, you know, the freedom? There is forgiveness with God. There, if you want partnership with God, if you want God to partner with you, you have to understand that he is not marking your iniqui iniquities. He's not crushing you down because of every wrong move you make. He's not holding every shortcoming of yours against you. If so, who could stand, let alone move forward with a happy anticipation of good? But there is forgiveness with the Lord that he may be feared. In this sense, fear does not mean, oh, I'm afraid, but it's feared that I can walk in respect to him and reverence him and be in awe of his wonder, the God of wonders, and that he's a part of what's going on in me. But a lot of people don't feel like this word applies to them. There is hope when we take it and say, this is mine. I was having an email uh, discussion with a friend a while back, and he was, again, he's a, he's a believer this time, so, you know, I could talk to him about Jesus, but he was telling me all the things that were going wrong with his work, and he was having some health issues, and he just couldn't see the light at the tunnel, and if he did see it, it was another train that was coming at him. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I, I wrote to him, and I tried to give him some scriptures to encourage him. Well, you can't do that. I'd just throw a scripture at him. Well, it's not throwing scriptures, but we, we if the word is important to us, if it's a part of our who we are, if it's the seed that's going to produce fruit, give a scripture. But don't just say, well, that's the cure-all, the fix-all. No, but it is the seed that brings the fruit. And so I gave him, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, just reminded him, I know the thoughts I have for you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, thoughts to give you a hope and a future. That encourages me when I think about that. And then, you know, he's having health problems. I heard John 2, that I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. And uh, he wrote back and said, those weren't written to us, they were written to Israel, and the other was a salutation written to somebody else. Okay, well, now here's the problem. A lot of people will say, well, that wasn't, that wasn't for me. That was, and, you know, there are some times you have to say this particular scripture can't apply, but both of those scriptures could apply. Most scriptures we can apply because even if it was talking to Israel, you, ref, you see the reflection of God's heart. 
I know the plans I have for you, backsliding Israel, thoughts of peace and a future and a hope. How much more when the blood of Jesus has bought us, brought us in by the new covenant, a better covenant than the old covenant, can we expect that God has plans for us? If he had it for Israel under the old covenant, how much more can we take heart that his plans for us are to give us a hope and a future? Amen? And uh, salutations. Man, we miss it sometimes with the salutations. I wish above all things you'd be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. Wow, that's, we just read by it. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ. I read these salutations and I take them. I say, that's mine. Grace and peace to me. I'm going to take, I'll take it, Lord. I, you grab these things, you know. Is God's heart any different through that salutation for the church there than it is for us today? He's no respecter of persons. If you want to be drawing from the word and hoping in the word and being moved by hope, you have to own the word. You have to say, that's for me. Yes, I understand this was written to the Ephesians or this was written to Israel, but this reflects God's heart. This reflects God's will, and his will is that we not perish. His will is that we have life more abundantly, and I'm going to take it. I'm going to be bold and take it, and that's what we call faith. But you have to own the word. Too many in the church have a theology of failure. They want to make excuses why I can't trust this word. Or, oh, you got to be kidding me. You can't believe what that says. Does it say it? Does God lie? Does God have a different heart for us? We have all these excuses and reasons why it doesn't apply to us. Instead of that, let's just say, hey, it worked for him. It's going to work for me. He gave courage and strength to Joshua. I'll take courage and strength from him as well. You know, just it, it, I follow what he instructed Joshua to meditate on the word and to make it my morning and evening thoughts and delights and delights in the Lord. David said, delighting in his law, all these things I can say, well, that's for me, too, even though those were instructions to these folks. So if you want to be moved by the hope, you have to own it. And a big thing is that there is forgiveness with the Lord that he may be feared. You have to own the Lord's forgiveness. And I know there are people, maybe in here, but a lot of Christians in the church, who still haven't owned God's forgiveness for their past and their present and wondering about their future. God has forgiven you. You say, well, I got a rap sheet that I just can't even forgive myself. When you say that, you are forgetting that there is blood of greater value that was shed for you in which none of your sins can overtake. You cannot overtake the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And when you say, oh, I can't even forgive myself, you are making yourself in a place higher than God, which is a sin. And now you're really worried now because <laughs> I can't, oh, I'm even blaspheming God because I can't forgive. You have to get over this, my past, my sin, my failures, and how guilty I am, and you have to own the forgiveness of God that wipes the slate clean. Clean. His mercies are new every morning. But through the blood of Jesus, you are forgiven. Oh, how can it be? Well, go back. You, if the Lord should mark iniquities, who could stand? How could any of us be forgiven? And those of us who think, well, I'm not as bad as the next person, we don't know our own hearts. We don't know what's at the bottom and depths of our hearts. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know them? The Lord told to Jeremiah. But you have to own God's forgiveness to be in partnership with God. And that is to say, I don't have to pay for my sins. I don't have to, 
to do penance. I, I have repented. I have turned to the Lord, and now he is the one who's in charge of me. And this is what will work. Well, maybe, you know, I, I hear a lot of people, they don't keep their word. The Lord has given his word that you are forgiven through Christ Jesus. And 1 Peter 2.25, or, or I'm sorry, 1.25, quotes Isaiah 40 that says, The word of the Lord endures forever. The word endures forever. His mercies are new every morning. You have been cleansed, forgiven, and made clean, made a new creation in Christ, and his word endures forever. Yeah, but I, you don't know what I just ran through in my head, what thoughts I did, what I said, or what I did. Clean. He has pronounced you clean. And you have to receive that and say, that's for me. It's not according to what I've done. It's according to what he's done and what the word says. That is the hope that we are trusting in. You say, the word endures, but I can't. You know, I can't trust him for these things. Well, this is where we go to verse 5. It says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word do I hope. Notice the repetition. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. He's saying that twice. I wait, my soul waits. He's putting them together. Whenever you see this kind of thing in Scripture, repetition, it's to emphasize and to make an emphatic statement. I wait, my soul waits. It means I'm all in. Are you all in with putting your hope and expectation in the Lord? Are you expecting? Are you, are you being dominated by this expectation? You know, when you meet someone for coffee somewhere and they're late, do you just forget about it or are you just expecting, well, they'll show up and they're going to show up eventually, right? But you're, you have this expectation. This person is coming. I don't have to get antsy or nervous about it. Now, if it gets to be quite a long time, you'll say, well, did they get the right instructions? Did they get the right date? But even there, you're focusing on the, the person. You don't give up and cry and say, it's over, it's hopeless, and I'm doomed. You get, you get back on track. You get things aligned again. And sometimes we have to do that with the Lord. We, am I, am I, did I miss the, the word here? Or am I not thinking about timing? There's ways to get back on track. But the expectation is there. And we're not waiting for our circumstances to be fixed or for our ducks to be in a row. You know, I tried waiting for all my ducks to be in a row, and I quacked up. It doesn't work. <laughs> you never get them all in a row, right? Uh, it's not waiting for all your circumstances. It's waiting for the Lord. Because the Lord has this ability to be able to work in dire circumstances. And it's not always about fixing our circumstances. It's about getting us in a better position with him. And sometimes, even in the dire circumstances, the greatest relationship starts to grow because we're waiting on him. We're looking to him now. We're not trusting in these other things. And when we look to him, that gives us hope. That we don't like to wait. We like to have it done yesterday. So how can we get better at putting ourselves in a position in which we are hoping in his word? And Romans 1 gives us a clue. Romans uh, chapter 1, 1-1, one, one, I believe it is. Notice Paul, what he says at the beginning here. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. So, right there, uh, there's a simple instruction for us. Paul identified himself 
as being separated to the gospel. How can you have hope in the word? You identify yourself as I'm a gospel being now. I'm a gospel person. I'm separated. Separated means set apart. That's how we describe holiness. God is holy. He is set apart. He is separated from all that's ordinary or common. He is above all that, separated. He is his own thing. Well, we also are called to be holy. We are separated. We have to identify with Jesus, with the gospel, with the word. We want to be separated to the gospel. And many in the church have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And they do the hokey pokey. They put their right foot out and their left foot in, and, and it's back and forth. And that's not identifying with the gospel. That's not being separate. We have to say, I am separated unto the good news. I am separated unto the things of God. He has bought me by grace. He has, he has given his love through a dying Savior for us. And we want to be set apart to him, identifying this is who I am. I am not just little old me waking up and going to work, but I am one who knows Jesus. I am one who has been forgiven. I am free because Jesus paid for me. And I am, he's with me today because, because of this gospel. And so I'm going to separate myself to his cause and to his word and i'm not going to be phased by the things out there and dwell in those things you can't avoid some things there are times that you have to deal with things but you don't have to let them deal and dwell with you so you separate now the gospel as you know is called good news if you want to walk in hope you have to be about good news we have to be good news people and some people are just never about good news. They're always moping and complaining and whining and crying, and this is so bad, and I can't get this and that, and, and how can God love me, things like that. We have to be separated unto the gospel good news. We have to always be thinking, God isn't holding a stick over me. He's not breathing fire down my neck and saying, you blew it this time. You know, let's separate ourselves to the thought that God is saying, I love you. This is the way. Walk in it. I, you are righteous in my sight because of jesus remember i care for you you know we've got to think about what we're thinking about because too often we're thinking oh god's got something over me god's angry with this and stuff we have to train ourselves to think good news that's the gospel and that's walking in the spirit really because when you walk in the word hope in the word that's where the spirit starts working that word and you have power to live and to be a vessel of that hope to others but good news, and now, not just the good news of the gospel, but let's talk practically for a second. We're talking about how dark the world is out there, and it's easy to get depressed. If, you know, if something's wrong if you don't get down and you're exposed to all that we're seeing out there, right? And I heard a great, I can't take credit for this, I heard a great sermon by a guy named Greg Moore who talked about, let's make joy our default, our homepage, you know your homepage when you when you open your web browser what's the homepage that comes up it always defaults to this homepage he's saying as christians we need to make joy our homepage we need to make it uh the gospel our homepage we need to have the the thing that we always revert back to default back to is i believe.org or godisgood.com we have to get rid of whining and complaining.net and it's so dark out there.org and woe is me.com 
You know, those are things that are usually the tendency to go through. What's your homepage on lately? What, what have you reverted back to? Now, you, you're going to have a woe is me moment, all right? Let's not be unreal. There are, there are times and moments, but they don't have to be our default and the running thing. See what I'm saying? You are separated unto the good news. It's like, okay, that was enough of my pity party. Sometimes we just want to have a pity party, right? Ever, you, did you ever have that when you were kids? Come on, everybody. One, two, three. Oh, you didn't do that? Let's have a pity party. One, two, three. Oh, that's, that's what we're looking for sometimes. And we just wanted, we want that to happen. We like reveling in that. But we can't stay there. That's not the default homepage. We want to get back on track. We want to be separated unto good news. That means... You know, you don't deny the bad news, the problems out there, but you don't dwell in them. And, you know, you can get curious. There's a news item. I scan the headlines, and, oh, oh, I'm curious about that, and I start reading that stuff, and then all of a sudden I've got the blahs. It's like I need to spend less time. Sometimes you don't have to put your head in the sand, but you don't have to get all the way into what's happening out there. We know it's dark and it's bad. And we're protecting ourselves. We're guarding ourselves. We are separated to the gospel of God. And that's going to help us to be empowered by hope because it's the word that we're letting more dominate and not the news. Amen. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And I love that. It's a life that now is. We have a promise in godliness for what is now. But notice he says, reject profane and old wise fables. What is he talking about there? Well, he was talking about some rabbinical writings that would put some of their, you know, the rabbis had all kinds of writings and debates and arguments, but they would also put in these fantastic profane and old wives' fables, mystic stuff and Gnostic stuff and all this weird stuff. And, and Paul was saying, don't pay attention. Exercise yourself towards Goliath. So, so maybe we don't look into those profane old wives' fables, but the point is, is to exercise yourself away from that which is not edifying from that which causes controversy or, or just doesn't go down a path that's going to help you. Exercise your, yourself instead towards godliness. And what is godliness? It's holiness, right? No, it's not holiness. I think it's different from holiness. Holiness means you set, you're set apart. I'm set apart to the gospel. I'm going to be holy. I'm not going to be like the common, like the world. Godliness is basically, I believe, what God thinks and how God responds. So we want to be godly. We want to think like God thinks, and we want to respond like God responds. So what does God think about salvation? You know, a lot of people are thinking, oh, I've got to work, 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 do better, better. God thinks it's by grace. What does God think of the economy? We're going, how am I going to make it? How am I going to pay the rent? But God says, he's not worried. He's not worried about the economy. I want to learn to think how God thinks, but I don't do that naturally. That's why Paul says, exercise yourself. You know, I want to be able to lift 100 pounds and stuff like that, but I don't do it naturally. I have to exercise if I want to get to that. 
So my thought processes are not naturally towards godliness and what God thinks about a situation. And I'm just as prone to panic when something comes up as the next person is. But there's all kinds of things in the Psalms. I, my heart is fixed. I will, the, the man of God is not going to be moved when he hears something bad. And I want to be that man of God that's not moved when I hear something bad. And it's profitable for now to think godly and to respond godly. I got down, you know, more than often you can get down thinking about where this world is headed and where this world is dark. And I remember there was another time I was really down about this. And I said, I got to quit thinking about this. I opened up the word to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 is always an encouraging chapter if you want to get a better picture of things than what we're seeing in the, in the right now, in the natural. And it just did something. This is where the word brings some hope. I read in the, Isaiah chapter 40 that the word of the Lord endures forever. And what's his word say? The word in Isaiah chapter 40, he says, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. I was thinking, oh man, the nations are getting so oppressive, so powerful, and they're destroying our lives. Not a big deal to God. The nations are a drop in the bucket. Isaiah 40 talks about the brevity of the wicked and how the Lord looks, looks after his own. And it's just uh, getting a realignment, get my bearings straight again, and I can go and face the day knowing that this is only a short season. This is only the now. There is an eternal, and there is, there is hope in what the word says, and that's going to carry me through. That's what carried Abraham through. We, we got to talk about Abraham when we talk about hoping in a word. Romans 4, 17, 18 to 21. Let's go to 18 to 21. The Lord told, uh, told Abraham he's going to make him a father of many nations. And then go to 18. It says that Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And then verse 19, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And that's interesting there. Strengthened in faith is what gives glory to God. It's not necessarily your great faith that you have, but you're letting your faith be strengthened because of the word of God. You're holding on, you're hoping in that word. That's what gives glory to God. You think you have to give glory to God by some great achievement, by some great, wonderful, super spectacular, sanctimonious, uh, sacred work. And all it is is just being faithful and allowing God to strengthen you in your faith. That gives glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. So God said he was able to perform a miracle to make Abraham a father of many nations. And here Abraham had this slight problem of his past childbearing age and Sarah's past childbearing age. That seems pretty hopeless, right? And yet it says Abraham hoped against hope. How do you hope against hope? Well, you can't unless you have a word from God. And God gave the word. And things look pretty hopeless for us sometimes, but we have so much. We have promises, but the problem is, is that we waver. We, we say, we, we come up again with a theology of failure, say, well, this won't apply to me because I'm this or because of that. Abraham didn't consider himself. He didn't consider his body now dead. Some translations said he did. 
Either way, it doesn't, doesn't hurt the message here. It means he didn't give priority to that. He gave priority to the promise. And that promise kept him. That hope kept him. And he hoped against hope. And I'll bet you, you know, it says that his name went from Abraham to Abraham, which means father of nations. That was a declaration. Every time he said, my name is Abraham, he was declaring this absurd, ridiculous hope. But it was a miraculous hope that came forward in the end. We can, we can be about the absurd and ridiculous because in the end, it's not absurd or ridiculous. God is coming through. God is working. But it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises, right? It's not a microwave. Here it is. Boom, done in 30 seconds. It's a crock pot. But how do you manage waiting for the crockpot? You fill yourself up with hope standing on the word. And that's what, and Abraham, how long did Abraham wait before this promise was accomplished in his life? 25 years. That's a crockpot wait, isn't it? <laughs> that's a long time. And I believe that we don't have to wait so long for most of God's promises, but there is waiting for some, but... I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. I'm all in because this word is a powerful word. It's a hope. I want to tell you about a guy you've probably never heard of because he's from the Pentecostal camp. His name is Smith Wigglesworth. And at the turn of the century, early 20th century, uh, he led all kinds of healing meetings. I mean, they had healing revivals back at that time. And this man was just a plumber. He got saved, and he started to just put his faith in God's word. He couldn't even read at first. He had to learn just so he could read God's word. And he just put his hope in this word. And he's especially stuck to Exodus 15, 26, which says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And on that and on some other scriptures, he said, God's going to heal. And he went and he saw miracles happen. He saw people healed in his meetings. And there's just all kinds of interesting stuff written about this guy. But one of the most interesting things to me is, is that for six years, he suffered excruciating pain with kidney stones. And he would go to these meetings and see people healed through his ministry, and yet he'd go home bleeding and in excruciating pain, and it was like six years before it got resolved. And, you know, why didn't he go see a doctor? I don't know if he did or not, but, you know, I'm not one to say, hey, just hold on and push through. I say, if you can get better, see a doctor, right? But the problem is, is that often we don't put our hope in God's word first. We, we, we go to the doctor when everything else fails or it's not working. Well, then we decide we're going to pray and we're going to see what the scripture says about I am the Lord that heals you, right? I say, let's start with that. And that's what I do. I start with that. And, you know, if I have to, then I go and get the help I need to go. But I've seen this word come through, and, I, and there are many times that I didn't have to get the help from some outside source. But I'll tell you one time in China, we were going to, I made a promise to take my family out to eat, and they wanted to get some great Chinese food at McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's was a special deal, and I owed it to them to give them a special deal today. And uh, it was kind of like today, it was kind of drizzly rainy, and I was not feeling up to facing crowds or going out into this weather. I had a runny nose, a scratchy throat. I was feeling lethargic. And it was the last thing I wanted to do was go out in the crowded streets of China, get on a crowded bus and feel like a sardine. 
and go to this McDonald's over there, but I, I was stuck. I had to take them. And so I walked out there. We walked to the bus stop as we normally do, and we're waiting for this bus to come. And I started to have my little uh, woeisme.net time. I was starting to say, uh, Lord, you know, I believe in your word for healing. I believe like Smith Wigglesworth. I should be healed. And I've seen it at work before. Why am I now? I was really getting depressed and down because I had a runny nose, a scratchy throat, and I was feeling lethargic. And I, I believe the promises, and I should be healed. And I was starting to get kind of angry. I was like, I believe all the right things. And somewhere as I was thinking, I sensed the Lord speaking to me. And he was speaking to my heart saying, so you're feeling all down and dark because of how you feel at the moment? And I started to think about that. And I thought, I am sort of giving into the moment, aren't I? And I started to think about what does the word tell me that's mine right now? What does the word tell me? The word tells me that I have an eternity of grace and glory, an eternity where there's not going to be any sickness and pain. I have an eternity. I've been blood-bought, and I have been given a relationship with the King of Kings that all this stuff is going away. The Word tells me that he's got mansions prepared for us, that he's got all kinds of uh, vindication and, and all this for what has happened here. We are going to be rewarded. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. When Christ appears, all this stuff is going to be forgotten. And I started to get my hope in God's word, what it says about eternity and my place in eternity, that even me, a worm, a yuck like me, is accepted and redeemed and made something because of the creation of Jesus in my heart. I started to get a little bit more comfortable, a little more excited. And so I thought, I need to amp this up. It's, you know, remember, it said exercising. I had to exercise this and work this. And so I started making faces, thinking about, I'm praising God right now. I'm praising God. And Jennifer looked at me and saw me making faces like this. She said, what's wrong with you? And I sort of gritted and said, I'm blessed. <laughs> she said, okay. And that was an awkward moment indeed. But something broke at that moment. Something broke at that moment. And I felt the joy of the Lord coming up in, in me. And I wasn't even thinking anymore about scratchy throat, lethargic, and runny nose and stuff. And we got on the bus, we went to McDonald's, and I didn't even feel sick when I was at McDonald's. It turned out to be a happy day. It's all because of the word. I put the priority in the word. And I don't always succeed. I don't always remember to do that. I'm not Mr. Super Wonderful, but, you know, that was one of my plus times. And that's what I'm saying. We can do this. When we're saying things aren't working, things aren't the way it ought to be, but we're still in this natural temporal time. But we have everything. We have such an abundance. God has given us such an abundance that's coming to us. And even now, if we can put our hope in the word, it can start to affect us now. And we're going to need this because in the days ahead, there are going to be struggles and there is darkness. And it doesn't look like it's getting any better. But we can still be the answer in the darkness. We can still be the light in the darkness. We can still be the hope but we have to be filled with that ourselves. And so how do we do? We wait on the Lord. We say, the Lord will renew my strength. I don't have strength now, but the Lord will renew it, and I'm waiting on him, and I'm hoping in his word. His word says I have everything I need. He will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. The word says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I can get myself happy again. I can exercise towards godliness, thinking about how God sees this situation.
And he may just say, hey, it is a, a bleak situation, but you know what? It's only for a moment. Look at what you're heading towards. Look at what you're getting. Look at what's coming. And by the way, there's going to be some blessings along the way if you can trust me. That's the word, and that's what we put our hope in. Amen? So I hope, I hope this has encouraged you today. Um, but uh, we, that's, this is what we do. We stand on the promises. We say there are promises and that no matter what comes, you know, Smith Wigglesworth, uh, one of the biographies said about him, said he would rather die trusting in the Lord than to live in doubt and unbelief. That's a strong statement, but it's a good one. It's a standard to shoot, shoot for. I don't want to die necessarily before my time, but I want to trust the Lord and, and always have that being the first, the predominant factor. And it doesn't mean that I get foolish and I go out in the rain without a raincoat or an umbrella, saying, oh, the Lord's just going to keep me safe today. No, you have to make sure you're doing what's responsible. You know, you don't throw out your medicine saying the Lord's going to heal me. You take it, but you say the Lord's going to heal me, right? And there's a place for, for uh, trusting in special ways. But uh, we walk the line according to responsibility in the word, and that's what gives us hope. We are never without hope. If you are beneath heaven and above the ground, you're never beyond hope. I'll let that one sink in a little bit. I got that from an old Puritan. If you're beneath heaven and above ground, you're not dead yet, right? You're never beyond hope. And I'll leave you with that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us your word. Thank you that we have so much that you have provided for us. How great is the goodness the Lord has laid up for those who fear him. And so we just received that this morning, Lord. We thank you, and we thank you for the greatest that is yourself. You've given yourself to us, and that we can, we can go through these things with the word in us, the word which is Christ. And I just ask for blessing on each person here, Lord, as we continue, we move in our growing process with you, that you give us understanding and revelation and help us be hope-filled in these days, in Jesus' name, amen.